Okay, John, here we are live. Good Happy evening. How are you? Great. It's, it's been a great day and a great evening so far. Episode 13. Lucky 13. It is Lucky 13. Um, I, I, and now that I think about Lucky 13, we should have done some, some horror movie trivia on episode 13. But we've got some trivia for us and a puzzler coming up later. Um, and it's going to be a very challenging puzzler. And if you're... You're, you're like me, a child of the 60s and 70s. It's a TV program, and you should know this. Uh, in the past, we've talked about Green Acres. We've talked about The Godfather. We've done all sorts of stuff. We even did The Monster, The Addams Family, The Monsters. We did The Monsters. 1313 Mockingbird Lane was one of our things. So we've got one coming up. Uh, we've got a, a couple things to cover before we get to our special guest, which uh, we'll introduce and we'll talk about and we'll make fun of before we bring him in. Um, but first, John, I wanted to talk a little bit about because I know I've gotten some email. I know you have, too, uh, about the um, 21st Century Cures Act stuff, because that yeah. seems to be concerning to a lot of people. Like, I don't think people really understand it. You want to talk a little bit about that uh, so we can clear it up? Yeah, I'm not really qualified much about it other than to answer the predominant question that we get, Jeff, and, and this applies to just the TrackNet users that are listening right now. TrackNet is ready for the 21st Century Cures Act. We, we have the first of a few coming up, which is April 5th. We are ready for that. So there's not anything I believe our users have to do. They just have to know that we are ready for it. This is really on the technology company to make sure that we're ready for. And we're going to be putting out some informational uh, blast about it or maybe even a webinar about it so that's forthcoming good excellent which leads me into the other craziness in the government and not that the government is saying the MIPS stuff let's talk with just a quick question and talk about because I constantly get questions about what am I supposed to be doing for MIPS last year and that's the other great news uh, that the government gave us a little bit of relief on is because of the COVID-19 pandemic um, everybody is automatically basically exempt from a hardship exemption for the reporting year of 2020. Um, so you don't have to really worry about doing anything for the reporting year of 2020. And again, for our TrackNet users, for reporting year 2021, there's not been much changes in MIPS. Go to our wiki page and you'll be able to really follow what you need to do on our wiki page easily to comply with MIPS. I put a link up, John, while you were talking. It just occurred to me, uh, which is, I'm a technology giant here, so I've got the link up so people can see it. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's, it's on the wiki page that talks about what they need to do. with. Uh, and, and I'm just going to say this because I'm, I'm no longer in active practice. If I was, I wouldn't do a damn thing for MIPS. The cost uh, outweighs... Uh, whatever reward, unless you're some uh, billion-dollar practice where you have medical assistants doing everything and it, uh, uh, you can put resources to it, uh, I would be a stay-neutral guy. Just saying. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great. 
So we've got some great email. Uh, I got a lot of email on our last episode. We had Mike Brody on. We were talking about all sorts of uh, MIPS stuff. And uh, I kept calling it meaningful use. That shows you how old I am. Um, and I'll give uh, the answer right now to the puzzler from that day because nobody got it. And I just want to get this out of the way because I don't want to forget about this. Um, the question was, how much money was the original incentive money to woo you into going to electronic health records. It was a brilliant mousetrap that the government set for us. And the answer, of course, and I'm putting it up while we're talking, is 44,000 was the ultimate end game of how much money you could glean if you did all the years and everything you needed to do. So, so that was the answer. Yes. Yeah, you mean nobody got that? Oh, we, we, we better rethink today's challenge then because it's infinitely <laughs> yeah. harder than that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's, let's roll into who we have as, as a special guest. And uh, both, John, you and I have, have known our special guest for quite some time. And uh, we have a history with, with this uh, special guest. And I, uh, just to prepare, not that I don't know everything about, uh, and I'll tell you right now, our, our guest is John Evans, obviously. But um, I, just to be prepared, because I like to read a lot of stuff, I downloaded John's, John's resume. And you can get it uh, online. You can get anything online. In fact, uh, I probably know what shoe size and underwear size he wears just from Googling stuff online. But I've got his resume in front of me. And I got to tell you, John, it scares me. There is nothing that John has not done. He's yeah. been on multiple committees. He's he's uh, been involved with the uh, local uh, state association, the national association, ABPS. He's been on their board. Uh, his resume reads like a wonderland of oh my god, all the stuff that John has been part of for podiatry. I would say about six people could combine and their resume would look like this. So he's got a solid, solid resume. And when you talk to John, which we are going to, and if you've known him for quite some time, one of the most unassuming guys, just a nice guy, uh, is, is really uh, looking out for podiatry more than a lot of people with these kind of credentials do. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and I'm not going to bring up the people the enemy list that I have, but there's a lot of people out there that uh, uh, just abuse abuse what they do. Uh, I do know John's probably been in practice about 35 years, um, and we're going to ask him some questions. How did he get involved with the APMA? How did he get involved with the MPMA? And most importantly, the, the crux of this and why we wanted him on was he does a lot of uh, lecturing on physician burnout, which is a huge topic. And that's what we're, you know, we're going to advertise uh, what's going on in this podcast. So we're going to talk to him about that, uh, about some strategies and, and what he knows about it and what people can do about it, because I think there's a lot of doctors facing that. So we'll talk yeah. about that. And we'll get down to the bottom of the rumor of in order to be involved in the APMA, the way you do that is you get a matchbook cover and you draw the picture that's on the back of the matchbook cover and you send it in. And if they like the way the picture looks, then they put you on a committee. Uh, so we'll get to see if that that's a correct rumor or not. <laughs> Once again, nothing to do with the views of Dr. Evans and Juliana. Although, John, you'll be interested in this. One of the things on John's resume, which I, I think I knew, but I forgot, he has a degree in pharmacy, a bachelor's, I think, in pharmacy. So uh, yeah. that'll, that'll be really interesting. Uh, uh, I will tell the one story, and then we'll get right to John. So I, I remember first 
seeing John or meeting John, uh, there's two things that stick out of my, my head over the last 30 years. One is I watched John do a presentation once, and I can't remember if I ever told him this story, in front of a hostile crowd in Michigan. And Michigan is always hostile. I mean, people in the audience can be very hostile when you're trying to make a presentation for their own good and their own benefit. And I watched him handle this hostile heckler. The guy was you know, like being an ass to him. And John, in the calmest, calmest, because I would never have been this calm with somebody challenging and being an ass to me publicly, in the calmest manner goes, well, I guess that's your opinion. You can do whatever you want with it. And just moved right on. I'm like, I'm thinking, oh my God, this guy's great. And the other story that uh, I remember about John is I once had a conversation with him. At the time, I was going to be elected president of Michigan, and I was already president of the AAPPM. And in a private conversation, he says to me, are you crazy? Are you sure you want to do both things at once? Which, of course, turned out to be okay, but I must have been crazy. So <laughs> anything else you want to add to our great introduction? Me? Yeah. <laughs> I've known John for... Perhaps even, I don't know, perhaps even longer than you, Jeff. I've known John since the day of, of uh, PCPM, before PCPM became um, And before John and I even had a stitch of gray hair back then. <laughs> I have stories too, but I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> uh, we'll use them against him later. So uh, I think we're ready. Uh, I'm going to bring him in into the shot with, oh, there he is. Hi, John. Hey, John. hey guys, good evening. <laughs> good evening. I hope good. we didn't embarrass you too bad. I tried to be as mild as I could. Well, unfortunately, you were quite accurate. So and uh, and kind. Uh, since both you characters I've known for so long, as as John was talking about, I met in 1982. Who? You know. My. That's uh, correct. That's and, exactly correct. And John, a pharmacist also. Yeah, that's the year I graduated pharmacy school and went to podiatry school. So that's exactly right, John. You were you were already in your second year when I started my first year. So for three years in Philadelphia, uh, you and I were uh, were troublemakers, basically, along with trying to pick up a little knowledge. Uh, yep. Indeed. <laughs> and then uh, Dr. Fred and I go back to about... 91 or 92 uh when jeff started doing a lot of work with the michigan podiatric medical association and also caused a lot of trouble at that time uh <laughs> but basically came on representing trying to help other people who were in trouble yeah and yeah. uh and jeff went to leadership in the association which i continued to try to avoid as best <laughs> as i could uh, and then uh, next thing I know, you guys are taking TrackNet out of the grave and saving all of the podiatrists who had put trust in it. So on behalf of the association, the APMA, and the whole podiatric profession, I want to thank you because we would have been in big trouble if you hadn't done what you'd done, along with all the other work you've done. Jeff certainly has been active on a national level with the, uh, the state and the, uh, the APMA. And John, you've been one of the mavericks on teaching us how to run practices. So you guys are great. And I can say I've known you for a long, long time. Decades. 
You know, the good part about that, John, both Johns, is that we're old enough now, we just forget everything. So th that works out well. <laughs> you, push, you push the bad stuff out. We've not done anything bad. <laughs> so uh, uh, we know, John, we actually brought you on to talk about physician burnout. But before we get to that, that really big uh, encompassing topic, I wanted to ask you, because you have behind the scenes been involved, and a lot of people don't know, you've been involved with a lot of our national organizations. AP, you've been the, the board that board certifies, ABPS, yeah, those are the right initials. Uh, APMA, you've been on multiple committees there. I, I think you're still in health policy for the APMA. Uh, so you do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Just out of curiosity, in case there's any uh, uh, very young practitioners listening to our podcast, how does that come about? How does how did it come about for you that you decided, you know, I need I need to step up and do something here other than bury my head in the sand. So what was the initial just like the beginning parts of how did I decide or how did that come about? Was it somebody that mentored you and said you're going to do this or how did that work for you? Yeah, I think it's through personal relationship. Uh, first, when I got out of my residency, I went to work in Boston and I was at that time I was running the uh, externship for Cambridge Hospital. I met uh, a guy there who I became really close to named Lloyd uh, Smith. Mm. Uh, Lloyd was, at that time, uh, was working with APMA and with the, the sports organization. And he and I became friends just in residency training. And a number of years later, he calls me and says, hey, we'd like you to join uh, the coding committee. Uh, and in Michigan, uh, when I was studying for my board, uh, I met a fellow named Mark Borovoy. Mm. At that point, Mark was very in involved in the state organization. And through him, Randy Kaplan. And you become friends, and then they ask you, hey, why don't you get involved with this? And the next thing you know, you're on the, the, the regional board. And from then, you know, you, you think, you realize you're trying to do important things. So you join the, the state board, go from there. It is, uh, it's, it's interesting that uh, personal relationships, I think is how you started this conversation, is that's how it worked. And I worry uh, for a leadership point of view is we lose a lot of that now because not just Zoom and we're in a pandemic, but we have a whole generation of new doctors that don't go to meetings or don't want to detract from their lives. And it's not just podiatry that we see this in. We see this in clubs, organizations, no matter what you belong to, is no longer I'm going to attend in person. And that's where it all begins, is a personal relationship. Uh, that's a very uh, a scary thing for the future. Uh, luckily, uh, uh, we're beyond that, but it's important for our profession. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, basically, there's, there are two generations behind us, millennials and Gen Xers. That's even before we get to the, the generations that are coming after them. Uh, work ethic has changed and the ability to communicate. Our communication techniques have totally changed since we were young. Uh, much oh, yeah. of it is, is virtual or telephonic. With phones, our parents, a lot of them, phones were new to them, but uh, everything changes. So you're right. Uh, before, we had a lot more opportunities to find future leaders. Now it's more difficult. Yeah. So I think it's, it's important for all of us to keep our eyes open for people who strike us as being 
the new leadership. And uh, so everybody who's listening, people who you meet, who you think have it together, I, I, I sincerely ask you to discuss with them about getting involved with the regional and their state, and even with the, uh, the APMA. I mean, they would love to have people with us. One of the biggest problems we have now is drawing in future leaders. But we know they're out there. They just may not think like we do, which is probably a good thing for a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, but on the other hand, uh, it's we need them because they're the ones who are going to take us into the future because we're you know, yeah. more or less on the plan out. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it, which actually brings us to the biggest topic of tonight is the physician burnout topic. And I know you have a lot to say about physician burnout. I want to begin that discussion with uh, why do, is it more prevalent now or we're just identifying it? Has it always existed or are there factors? Obviously, the pandemic is worse, but are, have there been factors over the last two years or three or even five that you're starting to see more physician burnout. What, what do you think is the impetus behind this? Well, there are really three areas that the research points to. Uh, one is the digitization of the profession, the basis around electronic medical records, health records and such, require to spend a significant amount of time documenting either for insurance or for data collection, besides medical, legal, and health reasons why we learned how to uh, be able to document information. The second thing is, is the healthcare industry, and that's basically the way it has expanded and has become more corporate so that more and more people are working under larger groups, uh, and the physician loses a lot of the ability to make the decisions they normally would for, uh, for their patients. Oftentimes, insurance dictates is what you can do. Uh, or your corporation says you can do this or that. And you gotta see more patients. So the time you spend with the patients is reduced. So physicians often are, suffer, are faced with something called a moral injury uh, in which they have to basically have cognitive dissonance in which there are their goal to treat their patients is measured against the resources they have or the responsibilities they have that are outside of direct patient care. It's causing a lot of stress. Does it, do you think that that, that that is part of the detachment from their practice? I would think that would lead to, I can't control this, I know they need this, is a conflict of what I can do. I'm going to emotionally start detaching myself from the patients, detaching what I normally would do and just treat it as I'm running a bowling alley. That's the way it is. You're right. right. That uh, When you look at physicians burnout, they basically talk about it as being emotionally exhausted to depersonalizing your relationship with your patients and having a low sense of personal achievement, meaning the reason you got into doesn't seem to match how you're living your life right now. Yeah. So, so John, you're, you're in practice. What specific strategies do you use, do you employ to help cope with all that? Well, for, for burnout, really burnout is kind of the excessive end. Most of us aren't burned out 
now. Uh, but anywhere between 25 and 60% of physicians will say they're burned out sometime in their career. And the age group that runs into it most is really between about 45 and 54 years of age. Mm. Uh, women actually suffer burnout to a greater extent than men because women have greater responsibilities through society than men do. Uh, the thing is, you may not be totally burned out to the point that you're just frazzled. It very well could be just tired or any of those three aspects of physician burnout. Most of us probably very well could be one of those areas almost all the time. It just kind of switches back and forth. A lot depends on how much resource you have internally to deal with it. And so that's the key is to figuring out why these things occur and then what to do about it. And, uh, and most of us in medicine, we were taught that we need to be somewhat detached to deal with the pain and suffering that we see every day. And the fact that we are asked to be perfect, if, if we make a mistake, somebody suffers, but nobody's perfect. So how do you deal with the fact that if you don't get everything right, someone suffers or worse? I think one of the identifiers, and I've always said this, and I try and tell young doctors this, is you need to have fun at work. If yeah. you're not enjoying it or you're not having fun, the formula is wrong. Something is wrong in the environment you've set up. And, uh, you know, you did say that some people are in corporate environments and they can't do a lot about some things, but some things you can control and you can control how you react and you can control how the people around you react, and that is the key to having fun at work. So I use that as the number one measure of, you know, am I approaching burnout? Am I not having fun here, and why? Is it, is it something that's out of my control, and what, what can I control? That worries and are, me. And are you reacting out of proportion to any given event? I mean, that's, that's typically what I have seen being first sign of burnout. You know, you have an event, and you react out of proportion to it or out of character for it. And Jeff, you, you just said something very important, you know, what we tell often young practitioners, and it's probably a great question to ask John, you know, with your expertise now and your experience now of 30 some odd years of practice, John, if you had to go back to that day, you know, 1982, what would you right now tell the young Dr. Evans, you know, what advice would you give that young Dr. Evans? Well, it would be, it certainly would be different than the young Dr. Evans did. Uh, <laughs> because I, uh, and, and you guys have known me long enough. I, I was, you know, focused and hardcore and strict academic. And, you know, with my residents, when I first got out of training, uh, it was brutal. You know, that's how I, that's how I thought, because that's how I was taught when I was in my training. Uh, and it took me a long time to kind of realize that that really wasn't the healthiest attitude to have. Uh, for me, I would be talking, about, if I was going back then, I would talk about learning some techniques that I have only learned in the last, you know, in the last 10 years. And that has to do with dealing with your own stuff, with your own personality, uh, learning how to how your mind functions in a way that causes you problems, 
finding ways of becoming uh, a little bit better at getting out of your own head and seeing what's going on around you. So that would be the biggest thing. I think we really don't, we don't spend a lot of time talking to our early trainees regarding this. I mean, it's better than it used to be. Uh, because over the last few years, it's been a major push because physician burnout doesn't just start with people like us. Uh, it starts in medical school. You know, we're 11% of medical students and residents contemplate suicide. I mean, that's, that's horrible. And, and yet, when we were in school, there was a lot of pressure, things like this. It was tough. Basically, it's tough being in that age group anyway, because you're still trying to figure out you know, how to be yourself and be a person and still, you know, integrate into society. But uh, there's a lot of stuff going on that uh, we can do. We can do with also our training uh, institutions, our our residencies and such. Uh, a, pub, a paper was published just last year uh, by Steve Spinner's residency out of Florida, talking about uh, difficulty residents have uh, that are put on by attending. That you know there is a lot of shaming and a lot of emotional stress and somewhat verbal abuse type things that they have to do with. Now, for us, we all went through it because it was part of the training program, you know, like boot camp. You couldn't be a doctor unless you survived this. But it's not like it really made us stronger missions. It may have made us work harder or, or, or learn more. But the other end, we came out that we were... Uh, you know, in some aspects, we were kind of jerks. It's a cycle of abuse is what it is. If yeah. you think about it, 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 it that I, I like what you said. Uh, I want to draw more attention to this is the perception of the young John versus the older John is the perception of how I'm perceived, how I deal with how I behave. And this is a really existential concept. And this is a concept of a higher level of intelligence. If you can see the room of beyond yourself, you can see the other people sitting there and perceive how they're feeling and what's going on in a room versus like most of us, we walk in a room, it's just about us. We sit down and that's all we're <laughs> thinking, this, this one plane. But to have the ability to see beyond that as a young doctor, you probably would have uh, been uh, um, so successful just from that ability to behave uh, versus what we all are at that age. So that's interesting. Um, I probably would have, uh, I would have answered it differently, John. I would have said that I would have uh, either told you what lottery number to bet or wh who was going to win the World Series. So you could have made a lot of money later. <laughs> you went back to the future. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, let me turn that question around then to both of you. Uh, you're both nationally respected leaders in the profession. How would you answer that question? Wow. So uh, my answer would be very simple is... Uh, my advice would be like one sentence, just believe in yourself. Because of all the experiences I've had from young, stupid resident doctor out to where I am now, all those things played a part in helping me grow to the point 
where uh, I was able to accomplish things and help my profession and help myself and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it's the level of confidence at that age is very low because everybody else has their credentials. Everybody else is the big deals and you're like nothing. Uh, so I wouldn't change a thing other than you need to feel confident because good things will happen for you. That's all I would say. And here's a lottery number for tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about you? Yeah, so I, you know, somewhat mirrors what you said, John. Um, I go back to a simple, very, um, a simple, very profound statement my dad gave me as advice on my wedding day. And it's so simple, it's silly, but when you really think about it, it, um, it, it truly is the pinnacle of knowing that you've reached that pinnacle of Maslow's hierarchy. For those of you who are familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, my dad said, you know, and it was a videotape. They were going, the photographer was going around videotaping people. And my, dad, my dad's advice was very simple be good to the world. That was it. That was his advice. And I think if you really think about that and you really begin to follow that as early life as you can because it didn't hit me like john you said you know you've learned over the past just decade, the past 10 years if i understood the concept of that much earlier i would have been you know much more successful um but it is a philosophy that i follow I try to follow every day today there's a thing called the boomerang project which echoes that and it's basically whatever you put out into the world comes back to you whether it good or bad so yeah yeah, that's that's it was probably on VCR tape, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't play it now. <laughs> no, we can't. We did the right thing. over to digital. Gosh. So, uh, gentlemen, time is flying. It's flying by. Beyond, I just don't know where, where our time goes because we have not had enough time to shame John into some embarrassing story yet. But uh, uh, we'll get there. Uh, actually, uh, have we, is there anything we need to cover, John, that we haven't uh, asked you yet? Or uh, you think that we kind of got the essence of, of where podiatry is today? Well, podiatry overall is in a pretty good place uh, compared to what it has been. Certainly, I've been able to work with APMA on the Health Policy and Practice Committee over these last uh, five or six years. Uh, I've seen where we have grown because we, we have relationships with all the other medical societies, including orthopedics and the AMA, the orthopedic society, uh, and with the insurance company. And that we are looked at for the most part as equals when it comes to physician status and opinions and such like this. And we've driven a lot of major changes. Even though we're less than 2% of the medical community, we've done some big stuff. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, we are, we're suffering from the problems that the entire medical community has right now, and, which is major because we got to figure out a way to finance the health uh, in ways that we, we haven't had to deal with before because we're living longer and people are spending more time out of the workplace with, uh, with living past when they retire and got more ways of extending lifestyles and uh, good quality of life issues, but it's costly. So we figure out a way to finance it. So I think not just podiatry, 
The nice thing about podiatry is you can do a lot with it. I mean, you can do surgery, you can become general, you can get into any of the different subspecialties. So it's a nice choice. So I, I think it's got a real future, and I, I'm glad that it led me into this racket many years ago. Uh, but I think what I would suggest to people who are listening here is to get involved with our profession. Get involved on the local, the state, the national level. You may think that you don't have the prerequisites or the qualities that would benefit. But I'll tell you, you do. Because uh, we have a lot of great people in our profession. We have a lot of great people that we're not even aware of. So if you're willing to share your time, your energy, we certainly can use your help. So, so of, please. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I tell people, because I've, I've tried to give this pitch to a lot of people and, and, and I finally turned it around and did something that John G has always said, let's put it in the interest of the person you're talking to. So I tell young doctors this. Yeah, you can shape the leadership of what's going to happen in your profession. But more importantly to you, if you're involved, you get information. And you get information that will help you practice. And you get it in a real-time way if you're sitting on the committee that's discussing the future of what's going to happen, whether it's an insurance committee, whether it's uh, health policy, whatever it is, if you're involved, you can help shape that. But more importantly, for selfish region, for your own practice, you get the information right away. So you have firsthand knowledge versus third-hand knowledge that most of our colleagues get, which is, isn't great. So for a, a selfish reason, beyond you need to help your profession, it's going to help you and it's going to make your, your, your practice more successful. So that's the sneaky back end way of, of, of framing it like it's going to help just you. So yeah, I, I stole that from John G. Frame it into the person's, <laughs> what, what's good for them? What's in it for me? Type of thing. Not, not manipulation, by the way. That's influence. Yeah. So... Really uh, <laughs> So I, I guess, John, you dispelled the rumor that you just draw a picture from the back of a matchbook and then you submit it to the APMA and they say, oh, we like the picture he can draw. He's on the committee. <laughs> yeah. Now, that's just how uh, we pick our committee chairs. Oh, that, 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 yeah. yeah. The one that went out to the bathroom. He's the chair now. Okay. Um, okay, great. I, I think that this, is, this has been a, a, a great interview. Um, we have to do something called the puzzler. I'm going to keep you around, John, for this so you, you can be involved in this. And every, uh, every episode, we ask a trivia question. And the winner, uh, if you know the answer to this, uh, you need to submit, uh, submit it to info at essentialadaptations.com. I put that up on the screen so they can see where to submit it. Uh, basically, uh, you win one of our very, very valuable prize packs. And that prize pack is usually a T-shirt, a mug, and we got a special addition to the prize pack, John. And uh, I'm going to put that up really quick because it hasn't been released yet to the public, but the prize pack people will get this, is a brand new book I'm reading. It's, in, it's an intense book. It's really good. It's called The Million Dollar Practice, and it's basically the keys to creating and running a successful medical practice. A lot of emphasis on podiatry in this book. The authors are geniuses. And John, uh, John G., I sent you a copy of this book. And wait till you start reading it. It's just. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so we're joking around, John, because John and I wrote the book. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> Actually, uh, as our guest tonight, John, you will get the prize pack also. So we're going to send you a T-shirt mug and, and the book. Um, and uh, so let's let's do tonight's puzzler. So uh, if you guys will just hang for a second, I'm going to put up a picture and then I'm going to put up some music. You probably won't be able to hear it, but it's going to play for just a couple seconds. And that'll prime the question I'm going to ask as, as our puzzler. Let's see. Up. Okay. okay, so it's playing right now the theme song to this particular program of the 70s. Um, now let me pull that off. There's obviously a picture, uh, there was a picture of Lieutenant Columbo. If you remember that series, John, it was, he was a detective in a trench coat and a cigar. Yep. And he could was, write, this, I could recite the script of every episode, Jeff. <laughs> Basically, it was a great program, one of my favorite programs. And I, I, I was a child of the 70s. I know every single program there ever was. We didn't do sports. We did nothing. We sat in front of the TV, and that's all we did. You name it, Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, uh, um, Dukes of Hazard. I know them all, and, I, and I, I'm like John. I know the plot to, to most of these. So we have a question about this series. So it was definitely Lieutenant Columbo. Columbo was the name of the series. Um, our question for today, and if you know the answer, you better be the first in with the email because uh, first in is the winner, second in you lose. Uh, the question is, Lieutenant Colombo had a first name. What was his first name in the series? So that's a tough one because I'll tell you, they never said it in the series. They showed it a couple times. So that's a real tough, tough question. Just a little trivia on that. Uh, for those that liked the program, the role was originally offered to Bing Crosby. Now, that would have been a, a foobar if I've ever heard one. Bing Crosby. Oh, gosh, yeah. So, uh, Peter Falk as Lieutenant Colombo. What was Lieutenant Colombo's first name? That's the trivia question. Send the answer to info at essentialadaptations.com. I'll give you a chance, John. You want to throw up any trivia question? Because we'll, I know that's going to be a tough one that I've asked. Anything you want to, it could be any topic that you want, and we'll allow either the answer to what I just asked or what you ask as a trivia. Could be TV, could be whatever you want. Well, you want to go for a Star Trek question? I love Star Trek. So let's go, let's go down the Star Trek route. Okay. Vulcans are a major player in the Star Trek series. What is the name of their home planet? Ooh, I like that one. Oh, that they 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 should get that. Which incidentally was destroyed in one of the movies. Just saying. Okay, I'm nerdy. <laughs> That's horrible. I know. I know. All right. So uh, we've got our trivia questions. The name of Vulcan home planet and also uh, Lieutenant Columbo's first name. You can answer either question to win the prize pack. First one in, like I said, uh, I'll put up the email address one more time so everybody knows where to send it. Uh, and uh, good luck on this one. We've got a huge, uh, valuable prize pack, brand new published book, T-shirt, mug, uh, you name it. Uh, last week, nobody got our puzzler, John. Again, we were giving away a uh, Midmark podiatry chair. Nobody won it. <laughs> Uh, and we were giving a one-year lease, free lease to a Rolls-Royce. Nobody won it, and that's the way it goes. So, and, and, and an acre of land in Florida. <laughs> acre of land in Florida. 
So, uh, gentlemen, that is episode 13. We had a great episode. We, we talked about a lot of things. Uh, hopefully, it, it's helped our colleagues. And uh, just a reminder, the reason we do this video podcast and have our special guests is to help elevate podiatry, to bring forth what's going on in podiatry in a dynamic way, not in a static way, which podiatry usually gets its news from a magazine that's already a month old or whatever that is. Uh, We do this every month, and hopefully we will be elevating podiatry. Um, And uh, I want to thank you both as usual. It's beyond my bedtime, way too late for me. Uh, So uh, great episode, guys. Thank you. Thanks, John. That's a pleasure to be with you too, gentlemen. Hope to see you in person before too long. Yeah, absolutely.